Welcome back to the Clerics-Ware Ringmail Podcast. In this episode, Horror in Your Home Games, Part 3. Repulsion. So there, I, there's no doubt that Abel Ferrer saw Roman Polanski's movie, and you, you know probably incorporated elements of that into Ms. Forty Five. You know where Zoe Lund played that titular character. Um, there's a lot of similarities there in Repulsion and Ms. Forty Five. Repulsion's a very well done movie and, and worth watching, and some of the scenes are very, very effective. Repulsion is one of the more effective movies. And you kind of think Repulsion's a pretty old movie. But it's one of the more effective movies in showing that descent into madness and a believable descent into madness. So, yeah, I would highly recommend Repulsion, even though the director is not somebody I would highly recommend. But if you can watch it, preferably without a way to give the director money, then, yeah, I say go for it. Oh, we've got us a film, a film. We know it's full of psycho thrills. We'll bring out the tape from 1965. That was, of course, Jason of Nerds Variety RPG Cast, calling in and sharing two films, 1981's Miss 45, directed by Abel Ferreira, written by Nicholas St. John, and starring Zoe Lund, and 1965's Repulsion, starring Catherine Deneuve, and directed by Roman Polanski. The two films share a great deal, potential spoilers ahead, namely the protagonist experiences sexual trauma that causes a psychotic break and revenge violence targeting men. I have not seen either film. However, to focus on Repulsion, it came out to much critical fanfare, winning two awards at the 1965 Berlin International Film Festival and being nominated for Best Black and White Cinematography by the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Based on our shared taste in film, listeners, see Nerds Variety RPG Cast Episode 224 for reference, I innately trust your movie recommendations. This one, actually, is making me very curious. I can see from the trailer how it could tie into the pillars we've been discussing, namely the loss of control, the disconnection from reality, the horror of violence, and the death of self despite continuation of the body, almost as though a new tenant had taken up residence. Growing up, we had a family friend, church family, whose son, well, the mom, was close to my mom. They worked together on different initiatives, different projects, but they kind of fell out of our lives, and we didn't know why. Almost a year later, we came to find out that her son had a psychotic break of his own. He had slowly stopped talking, he couldn't function, he couldn't relate to people, and she actually found him in the middle of the night, sitting in the hall, silently staring at a kitchen knife he'd put on the carpet. I remember hearing that, and we'd pressured her to have him institutionalized, for his own good, for his safety, for hers. I don't 
think I ever learned how that story ended. I will have to reach out to my dad and see if my mom had contact with them again before she died. We'll probably pray for them blindly, regardless, but um, if I get any news, uh, hopefully to the tune of a happy ending, I'll share it on a future episode of the podcast. Repulsion. Uh, Repulsion is not rated. I believe it may have come out before ratings were a thing, but I think it's fair to say that it should be considered, like Miss 45, was rated a solid R. Of Deneuve, her film career started in 1957 with uh, Les Congeniales, Les Collegines, which I guess is the college students in French, a film by André Hunebel. She would transition into modeling, appearing in Playboy both in 1963 and 1965, before, in the 1970s, becoming the face of Chanel No. 5, earning the moniker The World's Most Elegant Woman, and having her likeness used to represent Marianne, the national symbol of France. She's still active at 77, most recently having appeared in a film called The Truth by Hirozaku Koreada. Of Polanski, having seen some of his other works, Without doubt, Jason, you are correct. He is gifted in the art of film. Without going into specifics on his personal misgivings, most specifically a 1977 incident, plea bargain, and flight to Paris, followed by several decades of additional allegations, suffice to say, I share your sentiment. I will not be paying for that film. F*** that guy. Now, repulsion in games and a repulsion as far as horror goes. Yeah, man, I'm not. I'm with you. I I really think that repulsion is one of the ways to go. I do. I th- I think you know that go. What I was calling unsettle unsettling and all that really falls under that repulsion area. Something that just you know d- does not work and our and we know instinctively it's not right, and that pushes us away from it. You know, whether that be the, um, oh, shoot, what's the effect? The, I'm tired. But the, the effect when you look at the Uncanny Valley effect, right? Where you look at that 3D rendering or you look at Princess Leia in that Star Wars movie that didn't happen that, that was supposed to be between episode three and Star Wars, you know, where Princess Leia at the end. No idea what you're talking about. And that less subtle repulsion, more of that uncanny valley effect, may be the more effective way to go. When I did it, I tried the more over-the-top, the more David Cronenberg body horror style, right? But, so, when I did the Colonial Gothic game, using ICRPG, well, I, I've done a couple, but anyway. In fact, I did a Wendigo game. Wow, cool. Are you secretly my old roommate? Um... But it didn't turn out too well. Ah, then never mind. Because I didn't pace it very well. Although at the end, John Allen Large did turn into a Wendigo, which is kind of nice. But in the other Colonial Gothic game I ran for Pete over Dragon's Reel and for my son, you know, at one point they came across a horse that had been snapped in half, but basically the, the front end laid on you know, nose to tail, but not between the legs, but over the back. And I know I unsettled my son a little bit with the description of that one, um, just because, it, and it, you know, because they're just unnatural and you don't expect to see your, your steed, you, you know, just snapped in half like that. 
Um, so that worked out kind of well. Um, the, of course, the creature in that was the Jersey Devil. But, as one does. The thing about repulsion, I think, though, is, and, and you nailed it, it is I do think you need to start off small and work your way up. And more importantly, you need to lay seeds. I, I, I think just going for the big shock scare isn't enough. But if you lay seeds and things aren't right as you keep going, you, you know, it, it slowly builds up that tension. And I think that could be very useful in a game. I am looking forward to Andy's calls, though. Turning John into a Wendigo, definitely a highlight of any game, if you ask me. And talking about the Jersey Devil eating horses, I didn't know Chris Christie shopped at Ikea. Makes sense, though, I guess. Thank you for calling in with the story. Uh, for folks just joining us, Jason had mentioned calling in about horror in his games and his experiences last episode, and I told him that if he were to do so, I would listen. And here we are. I and all of you have listened also. Sounds like a good experience using that sudden valley effect, like you mentioned, to put a player off their guard, especially in a game where the tone isn't all horror all the time. Very good way to toss the ball up and knock it into the stands. Well, it does make whiffs more embarrassing if you whiff, but if you don't whiff, we're all good. Playing in Hobbs's, so your other Jason, I guess he's initial Jason, meh. Playing in Hobbs's White Sands game, he used that to great effect also. Uh, when I was playing, uh, we had this centipede insanity monster whispering to us in the dark, and the season before, they had a horse corpse abomination. So dramatically close to you, he uh, must have seen your 1965 Cannes film. Anyway, try and true tactic. Thank you for the calls. Thank you for sharing the story. And I'm always excited to see the Anchor voicemail notification pop up. Speaking to loathing. What is loathing? Loathing is a sort of antipathy, a hatred, an almost angry response in aversion to something that is presented. A good example of loathing and its use to promote a horror atmosphere, I experienced playing in a Ravenloft game somewhere in the 2E epoch. Yeah, yeah, false OSR, I get it. I say the 2E epoch not because it was played in the early 90s, but instead because a friend of mine owned the 2E version of those supplements, or I believe he did, and ran the game in the spirit of that edition. In truth, we had our own custom classes that he had built based on what we said we wanted to play, and we moved on from there. In any case, the campaign opened with our party, a mad scientist type, uh, a vampire hunting Van Helsing type, that was my character. Editor's note, I actually still have the black leather hat that I bought to wear at the table. I remember because on Amazon it said, this hat is huge, it will fit everyone. But then when it came in, it did not fit my giant head at all. These days, my twin boys, who are two, like to fight over who gets to wear it and run around outside wearing their mother's cowboy boots. But back to the episode. A modern-day woman 
who had been captured by the mists and brought to Ravenloft, and a fourth player. I'm not actually sure what he played, but coincidentally, that fourth character I can't remember is the player who I frightened in a previous segment with the Roiling Ceiling Demon. Moving forward, the campaign opens and there have been some acts of violence perpetrated against children. The township is not sure about what's causing it, and they are wary of us as strangers. However, if I remember correctly, I had uh, ingrained myself, my character background, as part of the setting, so I was able to weasel our way into the trust of the local leadership in that particular domain. Turns out that the acts of violence were perpetuated by a golem-type entity that had been spawned as part of some horrific experiment gone wrong, the dead reanimated in a abomination, uh, a parody of life. To begin with, this was a tremendous success. There was a mysterious force that was perpetuating acts of violence against the helpless. This ties in to a fundamental distaste in the human experience. Children are, by their nature, something vulnerable. And as part of the human biology, we have an aversion to people harming children, a built-in mechanism to protect them, knowing that, genetically, they are our legacy, a base animal instinct to protect the perpetuation of the species. By perpetrating acts of violence against children, by violating that base animal instinct, the referee was able to inspire a loathing and a hatred for this creature, a desire to hunt it down and destroy it. Whether or not this is faithful to the spirit of Ravenloft, or whether between sessions the GM had a movie night where he watched a particularly bad, morally ambiguous film, the culmination, as I remember it, was somewhat anticlimactic. The creature's motivations came out to be a sort of rebellious, almost a rebellious teen. It was angry at the natural progression of those children. It was angry that it, it having been rejected by its creator, was not experiencing that natural relationship. It besieged us in a sort of pity to leave it alone. That was anticlimactic for me because the motivations it presented were not in tandem with that loathing. They did not feed into the antipathy that we had built. They did not feed into the spirit, the theme, the vibe that the sessions to that point had been building. The investigations, the, the progress, the discovery, they were incongruous. It was a trope inversion. It was a what-the-twist moment. It resulted in some confusion on the parts of the players and violated the horror atmosphere. So in that experience, we have two very good examples. One, to produce that horror, that initial loathing for the monster, knowing that it was violating a base human-animal directive. And then we see a failure of the atmosphere by the inversion and violation of the same. Does the inversion of one of these tropes, one of these interfaces, disqualify 
vapor or atmosphere. No. However, what I would say is that if you choose to include one of these elements, you need to play to it. You can't invert it. You have to reinforce the element of horror that you include. If you feel the need to invert the trope, instead consider temptation. Instead, consider a hopeless situation. Have the players play into that trope, forcing them to take part in the loathed activity. Lest, in a failed attempt to subvert your own genre, your players fall out of character instead of into it. Hey Taylor, great insight on using horror in your game and how to create that fear response among your players. Um, I think it's a pretty cool techniques that you outlined and ideas that can inspire me to do that. I like to keep those types of games serious. I don't know if that works for you all the time and keep the tension up and... Sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not. I guess you have to have players that buy in, I feel. Um, but you've given me some great ideas to how to get the players to that point. And I do remember sometimes one of my favorite moments is uh, in an old Dark Ages game. And I guess I set the mood pretty well because when water dripped from the ceiling, it mirrored a, a scene in the scenario and all the players jumped. So thanks again. That dripping immersion. I love it. Nothing like getting into the moment and borderline feeling your character. I do hope that whatever was dripping got fixed. Water damage is bad news. But who knows, it might have been worth it to have that perfect session. Thank you for your call in. I'm very glad to hear the stuff on the podcast has been jiving for you. I take it as very, very high praise to hear. Uh, you are spoken of highly on the AWD and in the podcast ecosystem for your stellar GMing. So having your approval on it makes me feel good. I feel like I'm contributing something to the greater community after all. In addition to his GMing, dear listeners, people also talk about Carl's podcast, The GMologist Presents. I spent a drive over the weekend catching up on some of your RPG-a-day content, Carl, and I have decided I like Amy. I like the way she thinks. Anyway, I will keep on listening. Maybe next time I take a drive. And I will be on special lookout for your recap episodes, scanning for those themes of horror. Again, thank you for calling in. Awesome to hear from you. And delve on, brother. Hey, Jason here. I'm sorry your message didn't included right away in my podcast. You know, when, I, when I'm away from home, we, we don't have unlimited data. We pay for data. So I'm kind of, I, I don't always download things right away. Sometimes I wait till I get back home. But I, I do apologize you were let down. That was never my intent to let somebody feel that I, I've let them down or, um, you, you know, ignored them or ignored a submission. That's, and, and I work better to be more clear on that. At the minimum, I could have texted you and you, you know, responded to you on Discord to say, hey, I'm going to let you know this won't be included this next episode because of this, this, and this. So that's a communication error on my fault or my part. But I think the episode worked really well as a standalone. Thank you for putting it out. And yeah, all good. 
This call-in is, of course, in reference to my bonus episode regarding Rule Zero, contributing to the larger conversation about what it is, where it came from, and what it means. To you, Jason, no worries at all. You are under no obligation to publish anything I send you. It's your show, and the fact that you choose to publish so many call-ins is, in my opinion, a service to the format, and I appreciate the assiduousness that you operate under on a regular basis. I may owe you an apology. I don't typically do those publicly. I prefer that the sentiment is conveyed in a personal manner to the person to whom it is owed. However, in this case, I did say this on Discord, but I realize not all of my listeners share the Discord that we were on. It's prudent to repeat it here. It was not my intent to imply I was upset. Per the episode itself, I put it out so that I could get the message out. I didn't want to miss the boat on the discussion and voice an opinion on a subject that no one else was still thinking about. I did not think I had been wronged. I was not wrong. I stick by what I said in our collaboration episode. Jason is one of the most congenial folks in the Anchor community, and the reason I included this little vignette in the episode is because I figured that anyone who had listened to Nerd's RPG Variety Cast for more than an episode would know that there was no way he was attempting to silence me, that there was no way you were snubbing me. It was my belief that it would come across as so foreign that it would elicit humor rather than belief. Per the episode, I'm really glad to have put it out, and I'm really glad to have contributed to the conversation. I've learned a few things about the way that I play games, and what I can expect from them, listening to the varied viewpoints of the Anchorite community. Like some of the other folks involved, I was likewise enjoying some scholarly debate. So, I guess the only response now is to answer your question on how we're going to define OSR. (laughs) BX or bust. More seriously, that will be a fun one, though it will have to be a fun one for another episode, because although this episode is getting a little long already, I don't want to let you fair listeners down, as I've got one more set of call-ins that I'd promised to publish and respond to. Call-ins from the master himself, Mr. Andy Goodman. Hi, Taylor. Calling you from... um another expensive microphone um my honda uh so i don't think i don't think i've left you a message before i i think you've left me messages so i feel like i owe you and of course you drew me in naturally with uh with your latest episode about horror and of course thank you very much for the shout out as well uh i'm glad that my topics have have inspired you to to record uh, a series of episodes by the sound of it and um i like what i hear i like what i hear um also i like the different categorization of horror into shock um scare disgust revulsion was it or revulsion and something but i'd really like to dig in a bit maybe get us all talking or thinking about about this this statement you made about being able to scare your players and clearly you, you gave a story where you scared the player but and, and made the comparison to scaring people through uh, literature or or um, or movies 
And I would challenge this. I really would. Because I don't think... I don't think you can create an immersive enough simulation in a game to actually achieve that. I genuinely don't believe that. And I'm kind of undermining my whole my whole oeuvre then, because I pretty much only play horror games these days. So what the hell am I doing if, if, it, if I think it's impossible? And here's the thing. A movie or a book, they both absorb you in this very... In different ways, but in a very specific way. They take you out of the moment, out of the present, you know. With the movie, you're surrounded by images and sounds, and, you know, especially if it's in a cinema, it draws you in. In a book, um, your attention is intense, it's focused when you're reading deeply. In a game, it's really different. And, you know, this, we can't, you know, this idea that you can be completely immersed in a game, I think, is a delusion because there's so much other stuff going on around us. E even in the most dramatic, I guess, LARPing maybe, I don't know, I've never LARPed, but in most tabletop games, there's too much other stuff going on that pulls us out of that immersion, I think. And without that, I don't think you can genuinely scare someone. Digging in. I'm excited you're listening, and I'm glad that I've been able to contribute to the larger conversation. Per an inability to create the right atmosphere to scare, you make a good comparison. The immersion of a non-social media, books, movies, etc., I think the key to it is management of tone. On your talks, you've criticized yourself at your own table for your inability to subdue laughter. And that laughter, that joking at the table, you have expressed concern as it being detrimental to your atmosphere. I would suggest, however, it's not. It's indicative that you're internalizing that atmosphere, that you are building that immersion. Now, this does not mean that a player, in lieu of, say, reflecting that a book is bound with human skin, then asking if the ink has been made by Neutrogena, that doesn't mean they're immersing. That kind of jocularity is contrary to the tone. See my Wendigo segment from episode 3. But... Reacting with laughter to misfortune is. Reacting to laughter when the horror sets in is indicative of immersion because laughter it can be a coping mechanism. Per Healthline.com, quote, Some research suggests that your body uses this sort of mechanism to regulate emotion. Other research has found that nervous laughter may be a defense mechanism against emotions that make us feel weak or vulnerable, unquote. It goes on to reference a study by Yale psychologist Stanley Migram conducted in the interest of understanding nervous laughter. Quote, People in his study were asked to give electric shocks to a stranger, with the shocks becoming increasingly more powerful, up to 450 volts. But the strangers in this case were researchers involved in the study. They weren't actually being shocked. But participants were more likely to laugh at the violence of the situation the higher the volts went. Unquote. Further, in the book A Brief Tour of Human Consciousness, V. S. Ramachandran elaborates on the etymology of laughter, proposing that laughter appears in the human communicative experience as a way to indicate a threat perceived is not a threat worth worrying about, a way to diffuse fear in the face of natural horror. 
As such, if Dr. Ramachandran is to be believed, laughing in the face of horror is indicative that the subconscious is attempting to reassure itself that the horror it's witnessing isn't real. It's your body's way of trying to make that fear go away. As the conscious mind knows, it's a role-playing game. But the unconscious mind, the animal, the primeval, ancient unconscious lurking in the medulla hasn't yet been convinced. To my own experience, I'm reminded of a writer's workshop that I took in college where one of the other writers had a piece about spousal abuse. It started out very mild, very workaday, and then erupted with a graphic depiction of striking one's spouse. I and two other members of the workshop laughed. The writer stopped. He uh, was shocked. He was appalled. And who wouldn't be? Spousal abuse is not funny at all. But the point is, it was so unexpected. It was so out of what is normal that I and the other two people couldn't help it. At the time, we did not know why. The professor, the leader of the workshop stopped the reading and started the conversation asking, well, why did you laugh? What element of the writing inspired that? He wasn't judging us. I think he understood having been much more experienced than we were as college kids. But the moral of the story, we could not figure it out. We did not understand. Now, 20 years later podcasting, who knows? In terms of scaring your players, I feel like we may have a difference of definition, which I think you elaborate on in your following call. But look, I, I'm saying this almost as a provocation to you or to, to anyone listening to say, you know, like, t- tell me how. I mean, you, you kind of did tell me how, but, you know, I've created moments of horror, mainly, as I've said in my episodes, through... through um, the uh, kind of gross-out horror, the the yuck factor, the disgust, revulsion. That's pretty easy to do. You know, shock beyond beyond just kind of banging the table uh, to create a jump scare. I don't know. And as for scare, I don't know. I I I, I would actually be, it'd be interesting to talk to some of my players about it to say, have you ever been actually scared? And I, I tend, I, I genuinely think most of them or all of them would say, no, not really. We've had other emotions for sure, but scared, mm, I don't know. I'm sorry, this is stretching into five calls. I never, I didn't really mean to leave five calls. Look, I think there's one thing that we have to try and tease out. If you are anxious about your character dying, I think that's very different from being scared, from you being personally scared. I I think that the two can get muddled up a bit. Maybe that's what people are are reporting, that what they think of as being fear is actually anxiety that their players, their characters are about to die because they care about that character. And I I don't think that's the same thing as being scared in in a true sense of of horror. Um, So that's it. No more messages. Thank you so much, Taylor, for your great episodes. I'm glad you've joined the uh, crazy circus. Au contraire. Do call in five times. The more messages you leave, the less content I have to come up with in order to put out an episode. 
and thank you for the welcome. It's fun to finally be participating in the conversations in a long form. Regarding your players and fear, I would be curious also to hear what your players have to say regarding being scared. I would be curious to hear unseated what their definition of being scared is also. Is it just the jump scare? Is it the dread of the unknown? For them, that perception, that range, that span of expectations. I'm curious first as to what it is, but also second, to pontificate on how it may impact their answer to the first question. But horror. <clears throat> I think that we have two definitions of success. You mentioned moments of horror, which I would have defined as moments of fright, moments of shock, moments of revulsion. I have not been able to, nor would I think it would be particularly effective to create a game with constant moments. It's like a roller coaster. If the entire ride was a continuous loop, it would get boring. You need the climb in order for the fall to feel exhilarating. You need the flat in order for the corkscrew to stand out in your memory. As such, I would argue, though you may or may not have scared your players by their definition or mine, it does create horror in the sense of horror fiction, of literary horror. I agree, listening to your Call of Cthulhu actual plays, which surely I know how much time you and the team spend on those, making them into as much of a radio drama as they are a game to listen in on, they are not constant horror. They do have stretches, long stretches, where it could pass as a simple drama game. However, those stretches are necessary for the moments of horror to punctuate them. And that's why I defined my own game, the one I was so fond of quoting in that mini-series of commute rambles, as being successful, because I was able to conjure a consistent theme through the use of that kind of punctuation, those intermittent moments reinforcing the horror, and that not the silly shenanigans that happened in between, not the Evil Dead references and joking that went on at the table. That is what comes out in the conversation when remembering the experience. Fear versus anxiety. What is the difference between fear and anxiety? Hilary Jacobs Hindell, a licensed clinical social worker and author of the book It's Not Always Depression, in so many words, defines fear as an immediate reactive state brought on by a sense of threat as perceived by the senses. Anxiety, on the other hand, does feel similar physically, however, is instead a reaction to our emotional state, a reaction to a sense of doom, a sense of danger that our mind has processed. The physical symptoms of fear and anxiety have significant overlap shortness of breath, sweating, increased heart rate, but there is a crucial difference. Fear is a reaction to the external. Fear produces energy, movement, when the external danger presents itself. Anxiety is more complex. It is secondary. It is a response to experience and of processing of emotions. An example provided by Hendel on the National Alliance on Mental Health blog is an employee who, when given a task from his manager, experiences a, quote, jolt of what feels like fear, unquote. Why does he experience that feeling? Work tasks are not dangerous. However, the author goes on to indicate, for the hypothetical example, that the employee in question had formative experiences wherein failure, wherein making a mistake on a task, was punished, was chastised, wherein they felt embarrassment, 
or humiliation. The jolt that he experiences does have the same symptoms of fear. It activates the same biological processes. However, its root is not in physical danger. Its purpose is not to allow caveman self to pick up rock and smash bad snake. Its purpose is to protect him from the emotions that he associates with the failure. Its trigger, in the example, being the assignment of the task, opening him up to the danger of that failure. In that sense, could a player reporting the scare response be experiencing anxiety to lose their character? Yes. Reflecting, I have experienced that anxiety several times, especially if I was new to a campaign group and concerned that if I did something wrong, they would shun me, boot me out, judge me, and that I would have to find a new one. Is this rooted, perhaps, in formative experiences? Finding a group to play D&D with being difficult, D&D bearing a negative social stigma when I was first getting into it? Eh, maybe, but I'm not a psychoanalyst and I probably shouldn't try to play one on TV. So, moving back, do players potentially experience anxiety, sharp anxiety, at the prospect of losing a character? Not as much when the investment in the character is low, but in a game with narrative focus on the player characters, or in a long-running game where the time investment in the character is high, absolutely. Which brings me back to our core difference of opinion. I believe our core difference of opinion on scare is semantic. When I talk about scaring players, what I mean is to trigger the limbic system. What I mean is to trigger a physical response in the player that corresponds to the sensation of fear, the physical symptoms of fear. As such, under that assumption, pounding the table would count. Anxiety over character loss, so long as the symptoms match, would count. While I do believe that I did, per my initial episode in this mini-series, scare the player, I won't reiterate why, I went on for 10 minutes on it in that episode, I am saying, were they experiencing anxiety, it would count for the purposes of scare. So there you have it. In order to succeed, all you have to do is relax your standards. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm aiming for, what will create the atmosphere of horror, is immersion. What will color the memories of an immersive game is that atmosphere. By tying in to the physical, by tying in to those responses, regardless of whether the players correctly identify them or not, we encourage immersion, we contribute to that horror environment, and we, in so doing, produce a memorable experience and position ourselves to have a successful game. Am I mistaken regarding my perception of what the player is truly experiencing? Maybe. Am I failing if I aim to produce one emotion and get another? No. The fact that I produce an emotion at all means that I am locking down that memory, that I am drawing that player into the game, and at the end of the day, that's the real objective. My two coppers. And thank you again for calling in. Very good discussion that I wouldn't have had without you. Game on, my dude. And that's just about all I have to say about that. Uh, we've been through the four classic pillars of literary horror. That is loathing, revulsion, shock, and scare. 
we've been through, some user experiences, some player stories, some DM stories, and we've put ourselves in a position to run a right horrific campaign. Do you have stories that you'd like to tell? Do you have tips and tricks you'd like to pass on or contest what I was saying, something I left out or something I did wrong? Join the conversation over at anchor.fm slash clerics where ringmail. Look forward to hearing from you. And between then and now, delve on. Are encouraged to go suck an egg.